Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 70th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the British-based American R&B singer-songwriter and arranger Alexander O'Neill. My interview with this entertaining character, originally from Natchez, Mississippi, took place in London in late 1996, when he had a new single to promote. Alexander O'Neill, a new single, Let's Get Together. Tell us the story behind that single. Well, the single is a very, uh, it's a very positive song. Um, a song that was written by a couple of the Minneapolis crew, a guy by the name of Kazir and QB. And uh, it's all about uh, a couple spending some quality time together, uh, uh, you know, just pleading to each other to spend some time together. Is this another big love song from Alexander O'Neill? Uh, I don't know if this... I mean, I think that uh, the whole... This song is certainly indicative of the album uh, itself. Uh, the whole thing is all about love. It's about positivity and relationships. And that's that's what I'm, that's the message I'm, I want to say on this album. How come you contemporary soul singers always sing about love all the time? <laughs> well... I don't know. I think because it's, it's so much passion within the music itself. It's almost, it, it, this whole thing is just a takeoff of blues, you know. And the blues is all about feeling and about soul. And, and that's what this music is all about. But I don't know, for some reason, you're exactly right. It's, it always comes out that it's, a, at the end of the day, the essence of the whole song is about some love. But I think it's a very positive thing. Do you never get bored about uh, singing about love and want to sing about more ordinary things like your bank manager, your tax <laughs> deficit, or whatever? Well, actually, I I have sang a lot of uh, tunes. You're taking the tune, the All True Man album. I sang about a lot of political things, the things that I want to to speak on. You know, like the yoke and stuff like that, and. Uh, criticize and uh, fake and a lot of things. So I've had my time with saying what's on my mind and, and, and having some fun with the music as well. Right now, I think that this is, uh, you know, when you grow a little older and you grow a little wiser, uh, right now, what I want to say, the energy is still in my music, and I've always tried to keep display that energy level, but I think I just want to go just a little different direction this time. As you say, Let's Get Together is typical of the new album, Lovers Again. Would you say this is classic Alexander O'Neill? I would say, uh, I pretty much describe it as a lot of the, the, the beats have changed, the tempos have changed, because the tempos and music has changed, the dance tempos have changed tremendously. So I've, I've changed that, to, I would often describe it as the 1996 fat tracks with the vintage Alexander O'Neill on top, and therefore you get nothing but the best of Alex once again. Now, you've actually written your own song on this album, haven't you, for the first time ever? You've written one of your own. Tell right. us about that. Well, actually, it was a great experience, uh, me uh, writing, uh, having the opportunity, because I, I long before I had, a, had got a record deal, I had written songs. I was a songwriter uh, in Minneapolis with another guy by the name of John Rivers, and we wrote about 45, 50 songs that's somewhere on master tape. But I've always, you know, when I you, you work with a group like Jam and Lewis, I've never heard a Jam and Lewis song I didn't like, so I didn't really have to worry about writing. But this song is a very beautiful ballad. It's entitled Our Love, and it was something that had been in my heart for the last couple of years, and I just wanted to get it out and started embarking on uh, on writing some songs, and hopefully this will be the beginning of um, writing more songs on my albums and maybe some other people's albums as well. Why do you think you haven't come through as a songwriter before? 
because I never wanted to. I've always felt that there was a chain of command that takes place within any successful business venture when you are dealing with different types of different personality and different people. And a lot of times you have to accept your your role uh, in, in your place in that chain of command. I felt that my place was being a singer and it was up to me, the person and the artist, to, to carry that out after I did what I was supposed to do in the studio and the whole nine yards towards the performing is concerned. So basically never have had to really write uh, uh, songs uh, for me because we have an old saying in the flight time family, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> How much say do you have in which tracks are released as singles from your albums? It's uh, I, 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 I have an input. I don't, I don't necessarily have a say because I've often said when you finish a project for a record company, it's your career, but it's their album. You know, and that's basically the way it goes from a business perspective, even though they wouldn't want that to be so, but it is the truth. It, it's just important to be a very important part uh, into the album, but to say so of a single, you would just want to hope that after you put your input in and hopefully somebody else has the same ideal as you do and maybe you can get that point across but basically I think I'd leave it up to the, you have to sometimes take into consideration that the people uh, certainly using the marketing strategy for a particular product uh, I'm, I'm going to want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing Now you've been in the business a number of years now can you tell when you've got a hit single on your hands? I don't know if I can tell I think you can tell when you got something that you're satisfied with. I think, I think I can tell when I have a single that I'm satisfied with. I can't say if it's a hit because people are always comparing uh, your work, one work to the last work you did or this album to this album and that's just not the way that I approach it. I approach it as each time I'm giving 150% of myself and each album is different. I, I don't try to compare it if it's a great single. I think the single now, Let's Get Together, I certainly I think it's a hit single. I think uh, it's a very refreshing Refreshing single. I think that for a mature audience, uh, that we've been waiting for something that we can get into, you know. And uh, hopefully that uh, my fans will enjoy uh, listening to this Alexander O'Neill album as much as I enjoy putting it together for them. Now you've done a cover version of Patty, Patty Austin and James Ingram's "Baby Come to Me." Yeah. You don't often do cover versions. Why do you choose to do that one? Well, I think that it was a great thing because you know I wanted uh, to 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 use a song that certainly people could identify with, and I wanted Cherelle. Cherelle hasn't been. Neither one of us has been like really back out here strong, and that is my say. Uh, that's my my sister, you know, and and I wanted to use her on the album, which we did. We had the opportunity to do a duet together. But more so, I thought it was a very appropriate song for her and I to do a duet of. You better just explain that Sherelle took part in the early part of your career, didn't she? Right. And she's not really your sister, but a sister in, in sort of in, metaphoric terms. In, exactly. Uh, in, in, in music, you know, and in life, you know. Mm. I mean, we are very close like that, and we look out for each other all the time, constantly. I mean, when we had the big su uh, success, a uh, song called Saturday Love, which was on her album, it did great things for my career, kept me out there going until I got my next album out. And I'm hoping that this will, uh, I'll be able to return the favor. Are you happy with the description of a contemporary soul singer? Is that how you see yourself? Uh, um, contemporary. Uh, it's a hell of a word. Um, I'm probably... Anything but, okay, contemporary. I think that I'm, 
I, it's great to be spoken on in the same breath and the same voice with the great uh, singers, soul singers of the past, like Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye, and those type of people. Uh, I think what uh, I bring a lot of, I bring excitement, I bring energy to my records, I bring energy to the stage. So I don't know. Contemporary is something that you can pretty much preconceive. Uh, you never know what Alexander O'Neill is going to do, and certainly in, uh, on a, a live performance. Uh, James Brown is known as the godfather of soul, and you're known as the voice. Are you happy with those labels? <laughs> well, there's a lot of great voices out there. You know, um, I'm very, uh, it, it's a privilege to be recognized all over the world for what I do. Um, I um, never really get into labels too much because there are a lot of great voices out there, and there are a lot of great. The amazing thing about it is that there are so many. There's, there's a wealth of talent all over the world that's yet to be discovered. I mean, and, and, and it's just so amazing. I just thank God that that I'm uh, capable of, of of contributing to uh, uh, the music scene, and hopefully, when it's all said and done at the end of the day, that um, you know my fans and people will remember my music and say, "Well done." How would you describe the difference between what's happening on the soul scene now and the very beginnings of soul? It's a big difference. I tell you, one of the things, a lot of things that are happening are very positive. First of all, and certainly as from, from a, for black entertainers, uh, having the exposure, uh, certainly is one thing that ha- takes place here on this side of the Atlantic, and especially in the U.K., is that uh, how soul music is accepted and, and accepted for what it is, because I personally exclude the fact of being a soul singer. I think it's the best, you know, if you're looking for feeling, if you, you know, if you, because, you know, it's pretty difficult to, to dislike somebody or to have an ill feeling about somebody when you're tapping your feet. They just don't coincide for some reason. And so I think that the music has changed. I think the messages, um, basically the soul, the only thing that has changed more so the ballads are as good as, the ballad singers are, to me, the young and old right now, as good as they ever were. It's the up-tempo material that's confusing in some sense because this generation, they've changed the beats. The beats have changed in songs from when I was having more of my heyday in the 80s and now in the 90s, the beats have, in, in just in a matter of five, six, seven years, it's changed tremendously, it's slowed down. It's more of a middle-of-the-road funky kind of thing. So I try to stay abreast of that and uh, and I just try to uh, 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 do my music in occurrence with um, where music is today because I don't want Alexander O'Neill to be coming back in 1996 trying to do a sound that was in 1989. That's called, it's a difference between having a solid old sound and having dated music. I don't want to be a dated artist. Did anybody or anything in particular get you started as a soul singer? I think it was just born with it. I mean, it was something that just happened, and, and uh, I, I certainly I was raised up on it and influenced by the likes of the Donny Hathaways and Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye and uh, James Brown, endless amounts of other people, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips and all that. And i tell you something else, too, that I learned a lot. I'm, I'm influenced a lot from a lot of female vocalists, uh, uh, because, you know, this is a, in this business, they've had a lot of success. But I think that the message in a lot of the great, like Patti LaBelle and, and, and Gladys Knight, Dionne Warwick and stuff like that, that's, I learned a lot of how to come off of the up-tempo stuff and being funky and break it down. A lot of the sensitivities, I, I get the sensitivity things of how to approach it from uh, a lot of female artists and certainly some of the ones which I've named I've worked with in the past. 
Some people reckon that soul singing is still very much a male domain. Do you agree with that? I, I, I agree. I, I, I think that the heart of the soul singing, yes, I would say is still a male domain. Because it's been so, it's so difficult for male, especially black soul singers, to make the transition, what the word could be related as crossover, into the, into the public spectrum. And certainly in the United States, it's horrible. You know how they'll hold a black man down, a black singer, but they'll let a female singer go to the moon, because that's because of the correlation between. Uh, it goes all the way back to mentality. It's it, it's from the slave days all the way back, all the way up now. A black woman has never been a threat to a white man. You know, a black man has always been white men dominant on from on a perspective from a, a dominant basis has always been his worst daymare and nightmare so especially one that with some intelligence and 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 knows what he wants out of life and 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 knows how to go and get it and be forceful so i think that with those things in mind yes it's a male dominated things but the cream of the crop don't get a chance to get what i enjoy here on this side of the atlantic is taken away from me in my own backyard, even though my fan base is just tremendous, and I'm a much bigger crossover artist than they would ever give me credit for. But it's that same old syndrome. Wow, don't ever let a black man have too much money. You know, it scares him to death. And that's a sad, and it's backwards and dated mentality. Whereas though over here, it's not like that. If you're good and you got it going on, and you got, and someone can see something special, a special gift that God has given you. They, 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 they treat you, they treat it and you just like it's supposed to be treated. It doesn't frighten them. You know, it doesn't scare, it does, it's okay to say, God, that girl can, God, that guy is great. It's okay. In the United States, for somebody to say, especially people of power, to say somebody else is so great and to be in there and to really make them greater, they might say, yeah, great singer, but I'm not going to contribute to making them greater. It's a mentality thing. You're said to be a strong civil rights supporter. Is this why? Well, I certainly. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm a civil rights supporter for people of all colors. Period. I'm a civil rights supporter for right and wrong. A lot of times, you know, at this stage in my, uh, at some point in times, I've been much more boisterous about a lot of things, and and I will continue to carry the message of of, of peace and truth. You know, I mean, I'm I'm more of a Martin Luther King type of. Uh, my, I believe in his method. I believe that the best way to to, to conquer uh, hatred and racism is through love and understanding and bringing people together. You know, I've always felt that people should be able to love who they want to love and be with who they want to be with. It's said that you started your career in the backing group for Prince and then you got fired. Is that true? That's very true. <laughs> well, it was uh, actually a group called Flight Time. And I was slated to be the lead vocalist for... Uh, a group. It wasn't necessarily the time. It was Chris was going to produce a group, and at that time I started recording out at his house. One conversation led to another, and it wasn't a big argument, but it was just I raised some important issues. Issues, um, and we didn't see eye to eye on those issues. So consequently, I didn't get the opportunity to be the lead singer for the time. I got I got the opportunity to have 
my lady at the time, I had, had my first child. I got opportunity to get a baby. They got a record deal. <laughs> but um, that's okay because, you know, one thing about it, at uh, when you, in the formative stages of your career, like Prince was at that point in time, you know, you have a tendency to want to have much control over everybody and everything. And if, it, if someone's in your regime that looks even looks like it's going to be uncontrollable or looks like it's going to be a problem, and especially if they're talented, then that could create a problem. So I'm sure that Prince wanted to cut that off before it got started, and that's okay. But my point is that I feel like we all have Prince to thank, one way or another for our career, uh, from Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, to all the way down the line, all the whole Minneapolis music scene, because he is the godfather of the Minneapolis music scene, that's for sure. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. Have you ever met him since? Oh, yeah, loads. We, I mean, we, we're good friends. We're not buddies. We're good friends. You know, we're good associates. And, you know, when we see each other, it's the hugs and the whole nine yards. So it's that way. You know, I mean, if there's a wave of bodyguards and Prince is sitting over there, I just walk straight through them. I don't get stopped, you know, because it's that kind of thing. But uh, my my brother, the, the really tight family thing is really more so in the uh, flight time family with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And uh, everybody over there uh, on the label and on the staff, you know, Gary Hines, The Sounds of Blackness, all those. That's the family structure. And we have a philosophy within the Flight Time family that we use and we try to live by. And that is, if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say nothing at all. What would you say was your big break musically? Oh, certainly. Uh, the Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis when they got me a record deal, which they did. And that, that epitomized, to me, friendship. They made a vow to me that they would come back and help me to get a deal. They did come back and help me get a deal. The first record, the first album, for it to be received, and especially the way it was received here in the U.K., was phenomenal to me. Your first huge single was, if you were here tonight, would that be the one? Innocent. Innocent was the first single off the album. I think it was a combination of... It was a combination of all three, but the the if you were here tonight, if I was to look at it, it would be my classic of all time single. I don't know if I could ever top that again in life, you know. And if I'd ever want to, because a lot of times in a lot of artists' career, that you only get the one shot, you know, the one time. So I, I would have to say, but the 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 videos from the if you were here tonight and the broken heart can men, those two songs. Uh, what really made my career was, to me, those two songs and the collaboration with Saturday Love with Sherelle. That really just made it boom. And from that point on, it's like, okay, cause we knew he's new and this, that, nothing. We like him. Now can he, and then that, that prompts to get to the record company and start, they start looking at you and say, well, can he follow through? Of course we can. We came through with the hearsay and the all true man, boom, 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 back to back. So, in a lot of, uh, I'm, 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 I'm thankful, I must say, I thank God for giving me this opportunity and have given me the opportunity to experience the things that I have because there's a lot of times that uh, you have great artists who have maybe one great album and may have seven or eight lukewarm albums, just album. I was so fortunate in the beginning of my career to have hit album after hit album. I had three hit albums back to back, you know, which was fantastic, you know, and that was a strong foundation, so I'm very thankful for that. You had two massive hit singles with Fake and Criticize. Can you just tell us briefly the stories behind those songs? Well, Fake, uh, 
Satanine was a groove. It started from a groove. And it, that whole album uh, really started as, as a snowball effect. One thing led to another. And we came with Fake and and the whole thing, and everybody was putting lyrics and putting stuff together. And I think that was the beginning of the concept of the Hearsay album. Oh, wow, this can be a Naughty Boy album. You know what I mean? This can, this is that type of thing. But yet and still, what circumvents the Naughty Boy thing is when you come with the beautiful ballads like uh, Sunshine and those type things. But uh, definitely, uh, it was just, those were some fun songs, and it was a fun thing to do. Then we came up, we criticized uh, Jelly Bean, had a little music and stuff, and he asked me to co-write this song with it. So I came up with some lyrics, you know. I didn't know that those lyrics would be anthem lyrics, you know, because people know me for criticizing, and it was a great experience. How often do you find when other people are writing a song for you that it really hits the nail on the head as far as your own life is concerned? Oh, that happened tremendously. Certainly, uh, uh, I've sang some songs that were written by uh, Lance Alexander and Prop T, staff writers for flight time, and also some friends of mine uh, out of California, Zach and Chris, uh, we did um, Home is Where the Heart Is, and tunes like that, that was on the album that not a lot of people know about, and that was the Love Makes No Sense. We did a lot of different things on those on those albums. I did stuff on the All True Man stuff, so really, uh, at the time, when I did All True Man, uh, I, was, there was some, I was going through a lot of marital stuff and tough times and separations and the whole nine yards and a lot of those songs some of the songs that they come across because usually a lot of people who know me they I've enjoyed the luxury of having songs written explicitly for Alexander O'Neill so uh, that helps a lot especially when people know who you are and know your life you came through at roughly the same time as Luther Vandross and many people compare the two of you how do you feel about that well, I think that there's there's a vast difference between Luther and myself. Uh, Luther is a, a excellent excellent vocalist. I often describe Luther as the black Pavarotti of our times, you know, and only for, only for his talent, uh, he's he's phenomenal. But there's a big difference. I mean, you go see a Luther Vandross show and you go see an Alexander O'Neill show, and that's two big different worlds. Because I like doing the up-tempo material. I like doing the funky stuff. I like letting the audience know that I'm into them, and I'm excited, and I'm energetic, and I'm strong. You know, even though I'm getting older, but I'm still strong. And I think I'll do this last run, this last energetic run here before I start settling down and just standing on stage for a while. But people, that's what that's the difference between Luther and I. I'm 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 a funkster, and Luther can be anything he wants to, but he chose to, to go the route that he chose. I chose to mix both of them together. I like doing the up-tempo stuff. That's why I kind of pattern myself like an Otis Redding, because, you know, Otis could do the great songs like, I can't get no satisfaction, then break it down and do a little, try a little tenderness or sitting on it. I mean, it's a difference. And my whole thing is, is, is not about production entertainment. From what I can see, having a big production, having, you know, beautiful girls with big hair and all that stuff. My stuff is, is more so about entertaining. Letting, entertain. If I'm going to do 90 minutes, I want to give you 90 minutes of entertainment. I don't want you to be saying, God, okay, okay, enough's enough. I want it to be up-tempo, and then when you break it down, the fan is ready to hear something soft and lovely. Now, the trademark of your shows, of course, is bringing a bed on stage and getting a girl out of the audience. How did that start? Well, that was something I created from, uh, I just wanted to, just like I started the thing with the back of the arena and the whole nine yards. 
I just felt that we had to. It was my first time out. In a, in a, in a, in a, I have an opportunity to play Wembley and to play these type of plays, and I had to make a big impact. And I wanted to do something that I knew that I could say and that I could do because at that time it was so much written about me. It's like uh, I just wanted to create some excitement, and I thought that it would be good. Also, I thought it was a great way to get fans involved, uh, to go out there and to be tangible. One thing about Alexander O'Neill is that I am a, a tangible artists. I, I, I march to the beat of my own drummer. I'm my own man. As you see, I don't have a bunch of bodyguards and stuff hanging around me because I don't that's not who I am. You know, uh, uh, I believe that you walk through this life one time and I walk through it as my own man. So I, you know, I try to let people know that, hey, you know, if you treat me like a human being, I treat you like a human being. But when we're having fun, we're just having fun. And the bed thing was just a phenomenal thing. I didn't had no idea it would turn into a trademark, you know. Now, we have a black comedian over here called Lenny Henry who does a fantastic spoof of your bed on the stage piece. Have you ever seen that? No, I have. <laughs> no, that'd be interesting to see. I'd love to see. And, you know, to have people to do takeoffs of you and stuff, sometimes that's kind of hard to believe, you know, because certain times you don't feel like you're that place that far of a legend in your career to have people to do that. And it just doesn't go to my head because I'm still hungry, because I still... I mean, I'm still out here doing everything it takes to sell a record and to be active in the record industry. Now, I've also seen you bring at least one of your children on stage. Was that a part of your concert every time? No, that was that was a special. That was just a special night, and it just happened, and and uh, it ended up getting in the video and, and and known all over the world. So it, that was just a special moment that night. Tell us about your children, if you will. I have uh, six lovely children. Uh, two boys and four girls, you know, and um, that was one of the reasons why I had uh, taken time off. It's been three years. The first couple of years, I just wanted to spend time being a father because I've been for years and years, been gone, traveling, working all the time, and it was a bonding period for me, not only for me, but it was a bonding period for me and my kids, but it was a bonding period for me and my life as well. There were some things, a lot of things that I had to put in perspective about Alexander O'Neill, and I feel like I've done those things uh, I'm fit, I feel good, I'm back, and uh, let's go on from here. That was then, this is now. Can you tell us the names and ages of your children and what they're up to? Uh, yes, uh, Harmony, Alex, Louisa and Sienna, Carlton and Al. The oldest boy is 18, next boy is 14, Harmony is 10. Uh, I have twin girls, Louisa and Sienna, and they're nine, and Alexandra, she's... Uh, She's seven. You are now engaged to be married again. Tell us a bit about that. I mean, you know, this woman has uh, certainly been uh, with me. You know, uh, I've been divorced for about uh, three and a half years now, and we've been going out, and she's been there every step of the way uh, to some very, very rough times because during the three three years of being away, see, nobody's excluded from life's pitfall pitfalls, life's ups and downs. Certain things that God, uh, uh, that you have to deal with, with God has nothing to do with man. It's just your time. And she's been there with me through all of the down times, through some of the uptime, and now uh, now we're on the uptime. Now we're having uptimes, and it's just good. And um, I'm looking forward to marrying this woman and, and for this to be it and spend the rest of my life with her. What's her name and how did you meet her? Her name is Cynthia. And uh, she was a dancer in my show, uh, but we wasn't 
it didn't that didn't our relationship didn't happen until sometime long after that you know and I remember I was just you know I had been going I was going through a, the divorce separation and after you go through a, a period of not seeing nobody then you start thinking man I need to see some I need you know so I called her up and asked her to meet me and some friends because I didn't want to ask her for a date, you know, to meet me and some friends down for a drink, you know. We were just celebrating the tour, celebrating. And uh, she said, I can't make it, you know. She couldn't make it, so I called her up. I said, well, maybe some other time. She said, well, maybe. I said, well, the maybe was good enough. So I called her up again and asked her to meet me. And this time... I said to come by the house. I wanted her to see the video. Uh, all the time, I'm using my little things, trying to. And so she did, and we talked. Then I set up another date at a hotel. Oh, I had it going on. I thought I was going to be the night. I had the big suite, the big jacuzzi, looked like a little swimming pool in there. Came in, we sit on the bed, ordered champagne, and everything. And I tried to kiss her, and she wouldn't let me kiss her. And I tried again, and she wouldn't let me kiss her. So. I was on my high horse, and I said, okay, well, this is not going anywhere, so I'm not going to stay here all night sitting up talking. So I said, okay, we stayed a little longer. And I said, well, I guess I better get on back to the house now and take you on back. And that's how it began. And I think that was the best beginning because it proved to be uh, to give us more foundation. Now, you sing extremely romantic songs. Did you propose in a romantic way? Just the normal way, you know, to get down on the knee and take your hand and ask her, would you marry me? And she said yes. Where were you at the time? I think I was, she's a dance teacher, and she owns two dance studios. So I, I remember being at one of her studios. Mm -hmm. So I came in one day, and it was like 1 o'clock or something, and people were around and stuff, and they just thought it was the greatest thing, so I thought I'd shock her. When and where are you getting married? We're planning to get married uh, next fall in Minneapolis. Uh, they're going to be an outdoor wedding. It's going to be like a little. It's going to be like a party carnival. We're going to have games and stuff for the kids, and and uh, we just got. If it was up to me, it'd be just a gesture to the peace thing, you know. But she wants the whole thing and stuff, and and in my subconscious, I think I do too, because I've never had that before. It was the gesture to the peace thing. So now having it this way, maybe going through all of the pain and trouble, that'll solidify staying together for the rest of your life. Do you think you got it right this time? I know I got it right this time. No doubt about it. You know, you come across people and you know it's your soulmate. But I know that this is my soulmate. And if anything, by the grace of God, which I don't think could happen other than death, uh, I would never do it again. Would you like to have more children? Maybe one or two. Maybe I'd love to have a child with her, at least one. So we've, we've talked about that too. So, But first things first, you know, uh, the, the main concern right now is to getting getting this career, keeping the career and everything going, and we've both been working very hard together uh, to make that happen, uh, and that's what our focus is right now. Finally, it's said that you're responsible for many, many children throughout the world because <laughs> most people make love to your music. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's a great thing, you know. I mean, um, uh, if I if I if I contribute something like that to people's lives and that's what I bring and if people like my music to that degree then so be it you know uh, uh, I'm just thankful that uh, I don't have to support all of them <laughs> Do you make love to your own music? I've tried it once or twice and believe me it works <laughs>